Okay, let us go before the Lord again and ask for his blessing upon his word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we bless you again as we go into your word. We ask that you teach us the truth of Christ by your spirit and show us the things of Christ that were hidden but have now been revealed by the teaching of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask for your help in speaking and also in hearing. We honor you, glorify you in all things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In all things in Christ Jesus. Our message this morning is going to be in Exodus chapter 5. I think it's Exodus chapter 5. Right, Katie? All right. So we have been, in the past few weeks, getting our teaching from the book of Exodus. And we intend to be in the book of Exodus until about chapter 13, maybe to the Red Sea. Because as I was reading further along, I discovered more gospel nuggets. So I think we're going to get to the Red Sea. And then maybe not necessarily week in, week out, but we'll go to Romans sometime in January. We have to get started in Romans and then we can always go to Exodus for our communion because typically for communion, we do a message from the Old Testament. But it's been a blessing to me and everybody who has been listening to the messages from Exodus to discover the same gospel that you find in Romans, in uh, the book of John, Hebrews, to find that very testimony taught in the testimony of Pharaoh, which a lot of people will be surprised, like, okay, how do you get the gospel from Pharaoh? But yes, Pharaoh was given to testify of the things of Christ. Otherwise, God would not have recorded him. <laughs> okay. So, our message is going to be number 118 from the Old Testament series. And we have three titles for this message. We are not going to go and read the text right away because there's a lot of reading there. So we'll work to the text when we get to it. After we've developed some background, theological background, and reminders of where we've come from and where we are. So we have three titles for our message. Number one title is No More Straw to Make Brick. No More Straw to Make Brick. And the second title which will carry the message is titled A Quarter of Bricks. A Quarter of Bricks. And then number three, very related. The titles are related to one another. The number three title is Workload Not Reduced. And if you are, anybody who reads the titles of our messages, at least 99% of them are drawn from the text of Scripture. They are drawn from the text of Scripture. So this is where we are. Moses and Aaron have been gathered and commissioned by the angel of the Lord, who is God to go and speak to the children of Israel about their salvation from bondage in Egypt. 
and to introduce them to the God of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who comes, this God comes and makes very big claims about himself. He claims that he is holy, and thus Moses has to take off his shoes, his sandals, because the ground that he was standing on was holy. And he also makes a very big claim that he has come down to serve his people. That's a huge claim. He has come down to serve his people from bondage because he has heard the cry of his people. And he comes as the angel of the Lord, as the messenger of the Lord who mediates not only the presence of God, but the very purpose of God in redemption. And his name is Christ Jesus, the I am that I am. Both going to learn from the testimony of the Lord himself from the book of John chapter 8 that he claims reference to that Exodus 3, 14, I am that I am. And the Jews were not very pleased with that. And so they picked up stones to want to stone him for blasphemy. But this is who we are dealing with. So this is not a mere angel. He is the messenger of God who reveals or mediates who God is because in him is the fullness of God in bodily form. And by this he has taught us many things about Christ, about the God-man who would later come down from heaven. You see, the angel of the Lord was very purposeful to say, I have come down. I have come down from heaven for the sake of your redemption. And so that is already looking forward to the incarnation, to the coming of Christ in, in the flesh. And in Moses, we see not just a type of the law, as we shall expound in later teachings, but he also is introduced to us as a type of Christ because he's the one who is commissioned to deliver God's people from the hands of Pharaoh. So Moses wears many heads as a type of Christ and also as a type of God. As he goes to speak to Pharaoh, to speak God's words through his brother Aaron, whom God said had much ability to speak. So Moses goes to Pharaoh to speak the words of God as Christ came to speak the words of the Father to his people. But in the commission of Moses to this mission, he had objections. Moses had objections to the success of the mission due to his perceived inability, his qualifications, and on many levels, Moses was right to make the objections because as a mere man and a sinner, he could not save anyone from bondage. This is not something that one born of a woman is able to do you can't save anyone from their sin. And as a picture of the law, he also could not save anyone 
because the law does not and cannot serve anyone. So all that is wrapped up in the testimony of Moses as he's raising the objections of his qualifications to be the deliverer of God's people from the hands of Pharaoh. But God having claimed his sovereignty over even the matter of the impairment of speech. Because Moses comes and says, oh no, I don't know how to speak well. I stutter, I have issues, so please excuse me. (laughs) But God says to Moses, no, it is he who does all these things of creating people who have speech issues or any such thing that we may call a deformity. And we are to be content even in that frowning providence of God. Should it come our way, it is not going to be an easy matter to deal with if it happens to us. But at least the redeemed of the Lord know that this is the Lord's doing. The the redeemed of the Lord are aware that God does such things, not because you sinned like what we had in John chapter 9, because the disciples and even the people of the day of the Lord in Palestine had the theology, had the thinking that, well, if someone is born with a weakness or a deformity, It is because of the sin that they did or their parents did something. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. There's nothing to do with what they did. It is all to the glory of God, which means God is behind it. Okay? So, the Lord asserted his sovereignty over the matter of deformities and even more in the matter of salvation. Because the matter of salvation is a matter of his glory and there's nothing that one can do to run away from that which God has purposed for them, whether in this life or the life to come. If God has purposed salvation for you, then you are coming. (laughs) There's no running away from it. You can try. Jonah tried to no avail. He still found himself exactly where God wanted him to be. And so we have come the same way. The Lord has brought us to the knowledge of Christ, not because we were really looking for Jesus, but because he imposed himself. He imposed his salvation on us, and he drew us by the truth of the gospel. He drew us by the giving of the Holy Spirit. But we highlighted something that is very important to the gospel from what God said to Moses in Midian, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 9, where God came and said to Moses, you go now to Egypt, go back to Egypt, because those who sought your life are dead. And we expounded that as a gospel declaration to the redeemed, that is God's message to the redeemed, to say our redemption speaks to the death of all those things that would condemn us before God. Moses had run for refuge in Midian 
because he had murdered an Egyptian and Pharaoh sought to put him to death. Pharaoh wanted Moses dead. And it is no accident that he sought and found refuge in the one place where there was a priest, a priest of Midian, Jethro. And that was saying, all sinners who belong to Christ find their refuge from the condemnation of sin in Christ, who is our high priest, who made an end to the purification of sin. When it comes to the matter of sin, you have only one place to run to. You have to run to the God-appointed high priest, who is Christ Jesus. And that is why Moses ran to, in the picture, God is preaching in types and shadows. These are just pictures of the reality and substance that is in Christ. So when sin is getting hold of us, we must run to Christ and seek refuge. You're not going to run over sin. You're not going to overcome sin by making new New Year's resolutions. (laughs) There's no New Year's resolution that can help you with the condemnation of sin. You have to run to the high priest because he alone was appointed and is qualified to deal with sin as a matter of sin and condemnation. So God says our sin, the law which work together, to produce death, have died in the death of Christ. And where sin is dead, there's no more condemnation. Where sin is dead, there's no more condemnation. Because Christ condemned sin in his body, in the body of his flesh on the cross. The only place where sin is killed. Okay? The cross is the only sin-killing machine. Only the blood of Christ is fit for that. There's nothing else that you can do. So sin does not honor doing better. It only flees at the blood of Christ. And where the law has been fulfilled, there's no more death. Because sin has power because of the commandment of the law. Sin has power because of the law. That's Romans 7 teaching. So the law has given what it required by the death of Christ, which is perfect righteousness. Christ gave the law what the law demanded of you and me. A perfect offering. And the law was satisfied forever fulfilled. And God was happy. He was justified to justify you and I as righteous people because of what Christ did. And by way of example, we know that a bank that has or that used to have a mortgage or a car note. We have financed things through the bank. And once you have made full payment of what you owe, the bank cannot continue to send you bills every month. 
to make payment. Why? Because you have fulfilled the terms of the mortgage. You have fulfilled the terms of the car note. And so, sinners cannot go back to the law to seek something from it. Because they are now saying what Christ gave to the law was not enough. The payment that he gave was not enough. And now you are trying to write your own checks. Your own checks of righteousness to fulfill that which was already paid. And that is why we say you can't be in Christ and then go back to Moses. Because Christ is enough. He is enough for you. You are complete in him. So the understanding of sin and law is too critical to a proper telling of the story of Christ. And I believe we cannot understand Christ if we fail to understand the law. The law is not the friends of sinners. It is not. Yes, it may sound so to the uninitiated to this truth. And those who don't understand the claims of the gospel, they think we are speaking against the law. They think we are blaspheming the Lord when we tell the redeemed that you are not under the law. And this is a very common objection which was raised even against the Lord by the Jews of old, raised against Paul, raised against Stephen. In the book of Acts chapter 6, I think we want to go there. In Acts 6, 11 to 14. Acts 6, 11 to 14. This is what happened to Stephen. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth would destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. So that's the accusation that has been leveled against Stephen because he was preaching the gospel. That has to be the reaction that people make when you tell them the truth about Christ. It has to sound like you're speaking against the temple, like you're speaking against the law, but we are not speaking against the law. But they could not resist the wisdom and spirit with which Stephen was speaking because the Holy Spirit was speaking through him. And so we are not speaking against the law, but we are speaking for the law by telling people what it does when it meets a sinner. It oppresses them. It kills them because of its very goodness and holiness. The law sends to prison. No one goes to jail because of grace. There's no one who goes to jail because of grace. It is because of the law that people go to prison. So grace is what 
is friends with sinners like you and I. That is why Jesus said he came to save the unrighteous. And he hanged out with the prostitutes and the tax collectors, the sinners. Because grace is friends with sinners. If Moses hangs out with sinners, he will stone them to death. That's what Moses does. When he hangs out with sinners, he stones them. He has to he has to find a way to condemn them as the woman was caught in adultery. The Jews came with her to Christ because they were seeking to condemn her through Moses. But grace stood for the sinner and said, well, which one of you has no sin? Pick up the first stone. Let's see. And none of them was able to do that. So we see many claim that they are doing the law. Which very thing is against them. The law bears witness against them. And this to say, unless we understand the relationship between sin and law, we cannot understand Israel's predicament in Egypt. If we don't understand sin and law, we cannot understand the Passover. Forget it. We cannot understand Pharaoh. And so in this gospel drama, God is preaching the same theology of law and gospel that you find, as I said, in Romans. Salvation is a setting free from something. It is a setting free from a bondage situation. You can't talk of deliverance if you're not being delivered from something. And so we have the language of redemption. We have the language of propitiation. And propitiation means a setting aside of wrath by payment of a price. A satisfaction of wrath that came by way of the satisfaction that the death of Christ rendered on your behalf. He propitiated for our sins. He satisfied God's wrath and in consequence of that, God set aside, he removed his wrath from us. That's propitiation. So the language of redemption, the language of ransom, does not make sense if there's no bondage situation in which the enslaved had no ability to set themselves free. A ransom payment is required if one is to be set free from a captivity situation that they have no ability to pay for themselves. If a ransom payment has to be made for you, it means you had no ability to pay yourself out to freedom. So someone has to come and make the payment for you. And in the process, you are redeemed from your captivity situation. And that's what happened to Barabbas. Barabbas had no ability to set himself out of prison. 
But grace showed up in the person of Christ and Christ stood in his place as the ransom price and Barabbas was set free. So that ransom payment was the blood of Christ, which in the fullness of time was shed in the fulfillment of the types and shadows. And so God must come and teach us by way of the bondage of Israel in Egypt what the real issue is that is seen God's people under slavery. And who bought them, who brought them under that slavery? And how to be set free from it? Because if we don't know how to be set free from the bondage, of sin and its condemnation, then we cannot believe the gospel. God is he who has shut up all men under sin. It's God's doing. That he may have mercy on some. As Paul said in Romans 11.32, For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. And of course, the all is not saying everyone who has ever lived. But God is he who is working all these things for the glory of the salvation that is in his son. Men and women did not shut themselves under sin. We have no ability to do that. You can't shut yourself in, in a prison that you are not able to set yourself free from. If I lock my doors... I'm very much able to open them by myself. <laughs> but that's, what, that's what I do every night. I lock the doors, but in the morning, I'm able to open them and I can go outside. But in the matter of sin, you have no ability to set yourself free. It's impossible. Because God is he who has put you under bondage. So from God, you have to be set free. And by God, he has, you have to be set free. Okay? And this so that he may have mercy to the vessels of mercy, to the vessels of honor, and to the praise of the glory of his grace. God has to be praised for his grace, saving wretched men and women, and bringing them into the blessedness of his life and righteousness and glory. Yes, we praise for that. And so what we all God is not law-keeping, but praise. We owe him praise to say, thank you, Jesus. We could never thank God enough for his salvation. So God worked this testimony through Pharaoh and his decrees towards the children of Israel. And God also teaching us the only condition of freedom the condition of salvation, which is the death of the firstborn of Pharaoh. Picture of Christ, who is the firstborn of God, who had to die that he may redeem his people. The miracles that happened in Egypt did not set the people free. It was only at the death of the firstborn of Pharaoh, in the very night of the Passover lamp, the two connected and exegeting one another that the children of Israel were finally set free. God said, I'll kill his firstborn. And when that happens, then he's going to set my 
people free. And that tells you that Pharaoh is a type of God whose firstborn has to die for the salvation of the people. For there to be salvation, there must be of necessity the death of the God-appointed mediator. And that is what we see God building for us in the testimony of Moses and Aaron all the way to the Passover. And so we are here, and that will take us to the text of Exodus 5, and that to say all that was introduction. <laughs> Exodus 5. Moses writes and says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. So after Moses and Aaron had spoken to the elders and the people of Israel, they proceeded to Pharaoh's place. See that Pharaoh is the king of Egypt and no ordinary person could just pop in at his house wearing flip-flops and pyjamas and chewing gum and saying, I'm coming to see Pharaoh. This is the reason why God raised Moses in the house of Pharaoh so that he would gain entrance, access into the presence of Pharaoh on behalf of his people and petition and make intercession for their salvation, for their freedom. No ordinary Israelite could just go to Pharaoh's house. It had to be one who was raised in Pharaoh's house, Moses. And we see Christ doing the same in the testimony of Hebrews 9.24. The writer of Hebrews says, For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, Christ specially given as our mediator to appear in the presence of God for us. No ordinary person just pops up before God and say, okay, I need James and Sean to be delivered today. No, it doesn't work like that. So the whole Roman Catholic Catholicism teaching of the mediation of dead saints and Mary and all that foolishness does not work. It's false teaching. So Christ now appears in the presence of God to make intercession as our high priest in matters about our salvation, saying to the Father, let my people free. Justify them. Why? Because I died for them. I paid for their freedom. The intercession of Moses to Pharaoh to set his people free is the inter intercession of Christ to the Father to say, set my people free. And that to say, Christ alone has the rights of mediation. Christ alone is uniquely qualified to be the mediator for the salvation of God's people, only one mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus. But Pharaoh was as arrogant as ever. 
which testimony we're going to have to develop again in a different message. Why Pharaoh was that arrogant? Hear what he said in response, verse 2, going back to Exodus 5. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, no, I let Israel go. That is Pharaoh speaking as a hardened and arrogant sinner who cares not about the truth and claims of God. And this is where everyone was when Christ found them. We were found no better than Pharaoh or King Nebuchadnezzar with respect to our spiritual nature and condition. We were God-haters and arrogant. And Pharaoh says, I do not know who the Lord is, I, and I do not care. I do not know who God is, and I don't care. And because I do not care about God, and I don't know who he is, I will not let Israel go. I will not set them free. And what will God do to me? And many proud, unconverted people are still saying the very thing to God until God comes and lays them low. All disobedience will be punished. In Christ, which is the gospel, or in hell. It's going to happen. Verse 3, Exodus 5. So they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Moses and Aaron said, Listen, O king, we have met with our God and we need some space. Just a three days journey into the desert that we may sacrifice to our God. The sacrifice that they have to make is a three days journey and that looking to the three days journey of Christ between his death and resurrection. Here the reason that was given by them, they said, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword, pay attention to the connections. If they would be allowed to go on a three days journey, they will be able to make a sacrifice to their God. And if they fail to do that, what would happen? Lest he fall upon us with pestilence or the sword, which is judgment. And that you see, the only way to prevent God's judgment is by the offering of sacrifice to him. It is only by sacrifice of Christ that pestilence and the sword have been stopped. The sword was on your neck and mine, but by the offering of Christ, the pestilence and the sword have been stopped. By why sacrifice? Why sacrifice? Because God is, is only satisfied by sacrifice. Because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. There's no cancellation of sin. So God is preaching again through Moses and Aaron 
about the need of atonement for sin for those who are in slavery to sin. And if they should pass from death unto life and be set free from the hand of Pharaoh, then a sacrifice has to be given. They are not just going to get out of Egypt to get out of Egypt, which God had ability to do. But he says, no, I'm going to teach you how a sinner is set free. There has to be a giving of a sacrifice. That is why the whole Exodus experience culminates in the Passover. This is the background to it. Verse 4. Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. The king of Egypt is a funny guy. He actually had a sense of humor. (laughs) He says, listen guys, why do you take the people from their work? In other words, why are you seeking for the burdens of these people to be lifted? Get back to your labor. Pharaoh is a serious preacher, but he is a preacher not of the gospel, but of the law. Pharaoh loves to see the people who are in bondage, who are working. He says, go back to work. And that is what the Lord demands of a sinner. It wants you to put your shoulder to the wheel and plow for your own salvation. Go back to work. Verse 5. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. Pharaoh does not want God's people to rest from their labor. This is the sermon that those who are saying the law is the rule of life for the redeemed love to preach and to hear. Pharaoh understands or understood the connection between sacrifice and rest. Don't miss that. Pharaoh knows the connection. And remember, it is God preaching through Pharaoh. Pharaoh is not coming up with this. The connection here is that Pharaoh knows that if a sacrifice is given for Israel, then there's going to be rest for God's people. Then there's going to be freedom for God's people. He doesn't understand it the way that we understand it in the gospel sense. But that's what God is preaching through him. And that is say, if Christ has been offered, if Christ has died, there must be rest for God's people. If the Passover is given, there must be freedom. Someone has to be set free from Egypt. So Pharaoh makes a connection that a lot of highly educated preachers are failing to see. They are opposed to anything that speaks to rest for those who have been burdened by the slavery of sin, those who have been redeemed by Christ. If you are in Christ, then rest is one of the words that describes your situation. And anyone who brings the redeemed Moses is bringing God's people under the slavery of Egypt. And they agree with Pharaoh's sermon. They got their sermon notes from Pharaoh. (laughs) But the message is opposed to the message of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who came in Matthew 11, 
28 and 30 and said, Come to me, all you, all you who labor and are heavy laden. You see the context of Egypt, the context of law, the burden of the law. You are laboring under Pharaoh. Come to me and I'll give you rest. Which thing Pharaoh said, no, you can't give these people rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That is in contrast to the burden that Pharaoh has imposed on God's people in Egypt. So Christ is very aware of all these things. By the way, he's the one who came on Mount Horeb. So he knows all these context, and so he crafts his language to make the distinctions. So the gospel, the gospel speaks of rest from labor. It speaks of the Sabbath. And this is God's theme from creation, right from the creation story, and through the unfolding of the gospel in the pages of the Bible, the idea of rest is always there. The idea of resting is very key to our understanding of the work of Christ. Here, Hebrews 4, 8 to 10. Hebrews 4, 8 to 10. The writer of Hebrews says, for if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also seized from his works as God did from his. So even Joshua, who took the children of Israel into the promised land as a type of Christ, still could not give rest because he was only a type. He was only a shadow. But the point is that slavery is not of rest. It is of hard labor. It is of building cities for Pharaoh. But Jesus came and talked about the many houses, many dwelling places in his father's house. He was going to go and prepare a place for them, for us. When Israel was in Egypt, they were not building houses for themselves. They were building houses for Pharaoh. Okay? If you still remember, in Exodus 1, verse 11, Moses says, Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramesses. So what you labor for under the law is for Pharaoh. It doesn't benefit you. Because the flesh profits nothing. All your laboring, all your righteousness under the law does not help you. It is not the basis of your righteousness before God. Okay. Exodus 5 verse 6. So the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and the officers saying, You shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves, and you shall lay on them the quarter of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it 
for their idol. Therefore, they cry out saying, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on the man that they may labor in it and let them not regard false words. On the same day that Moses and Aaron approached Pharaoh about the setting of their people free, he commanded the taskmasters, the taskmasters Pharaoh did, and their officers, and gave them strict orders on how they were to deal with the people of Israel. Verse 7, here again, Exodus 5. You shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. The people would no longer have straw to make brick given them as before. Now, they must labor and find straw for themselves. And that is speaking to the matter of salvation to say under the law, the materials for making you righteous are from your own labor, from your own gathering, from your own sweat and tears. And that is why the law says, do, do, and not rest. The law is not of rest. It's about doing. Grace alone comes and says, rest, rest, because it's done. The law says, go and gather your own righteousness. And it does not help a sinner, even in this regard. Verse 8 again of Exodus 5. And you shall lay on them the quarter of bricks which they made before. You shall not rejoice it. For they are idle, therefore they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Pharaoh says, Not only shall the people go and gather their own straw, but the quarter of bricks, which they made before, shall not be reduced. Yes, they will spend part of their day or the whole day gathering straw, but that was not to be factored in to the matter of how much they produce per day. Pharaoh said, the quarter of bricks cannot be reduced. The standard that they were supposed to meet daily was not to be reduced. It didn't matter whether you had straw or not. You still had to make the same number of bricks. This is a wonderful statement by Pharaoh. Pharaoh is a serious preacher of salvation by the law. Because through his testimony, God tells us exactly the matter and nature of law its function, and its requirements. The law was given to get the sinner busy gathering straw for righteousness. But it never relaxes. It never changes the demands for the sinner. It never lowers the standard. Many think that now that we are under grace, God has lowered the standard of the law. No! <laughs> Grace is not a reducing of the quarter of bricks. No, it's not. Grace does not allow you and I to build our own righteousness. Grace frees you completely from making bricks. 
grace meets the whole quarter of bricks of righteousness for you and says, what the law could not do, Christ did. He made satisfaction for me by his own obedience. So Christ had to make straw. He had to get straw for himself. He labored hard all by himself for the sake of the elect and still met the quarter of righteousness for us. Okay? We should not minimize this matter of the law because when we do that, we minimize the work of Christ. We minimize the faithfulness of Christ to labor hard and long to make sure that we meet our quarter of righteousness every single hour, every single second, in word, thought, and deed. He did. And this is what God is saying through Pharaoh with respect to the works of the law and salvation. According to James 2.10, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. That is telling you that the whole law comes as a unit. You don't pick and choose what you want to do. If you knock one thing off, you are guilty of the whole thing. And to the same testimony, Apostle Paul says in Galatians 3, 10 to 11, All who rely on doing the works of the law are under a curse because it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not keep on doing everything written in the book of the law. Now it is clear, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous one shall live by faith. But the law is not based on faith. But the one who does the works of the law will live by them. So that's clear teaching to say, once you commit yourself to do the law, then you are liable to do the whole thing. You have become a debtor to the whole thing. And Pharaoh is saying to Moses and Aaron, Israel is cursed if they do not meet the quarter of bricks. And God is saying, you are cursed if you are not conforming 100% to what the law says. The law is God's decree to the sinner. As the quarter of bricks were Pharaoh's decree to Israel. You see the connection. They both require a standard to be met. Unbendable. And the quota may have been a thousand bricks per person per day. And if one did not meet the quota, the taskmasters will see to it and punish them even more. And we established already that the taskmasters are pictures of the law and its commandments and its demands. And God is working his demands through the law as Pharaoh worked his demands to the people through the taskmasters. And that is the parallel. Okay? So the law has a standard that must be met. And it's a high, it's holy, and righteous, and perfect standard. And that standard cannot be relaxed just because you can't do it. It is unbendable, as I said, and that's what God is teaching through the command of Pharaoh. 
Pharaoh does not want to hear about the sacrifice to God because that would put him out of business. Pharaoh does not want to hear about the gospel because it's only the gospel that will set people free. And so the faint law keepers do not want to hear about the sacrifice to God through Christ as enough. And that's why Paul said, I determined to know nothing among you but Christ and him crucified. That's a sacrifice. So they'll come and mock us and say, as Pharaoh, you are lazy. You are anti-law. You are anti-law means go to work. But Pharaoh does not subscribe to lazy boy theology of Romans 4, of those who do not work. Remember what Paul said in Romans 4? That to the one who does not work, their faith is accounted to them as righteousness. And I call that lazy boy theology. (laughs) Pharaoh says, this sacrifice thing, this Christ and him crucified thing, this grace alone thing makes you lazy people. I love to see men and women working, laboring under the law to establish their own righteousness, which Paul said in Romans 10, lamenting against his people or for his people to say, I tormented by the zeal that my people have for God. They have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They do not understand the matter of God's righteousness. They are seeking to establish their own righteousness by the flesh. And Pharaoh says, let's go back, continuing to Exodus 9, verse 9. Pharaoh says, let more work be laid on the man that they may labor in it and let them not regard false words. So more work to be laid on the man that they may labor in it so that they may not regard false words. Pharaoh calls resting in Christ the gospel of God's free and sovereign grace, false words. He mocks it, as many mock it today, who want to lay more burdens on the redeemed through the law. And anyone who claims to also be under the law and yet profess Christ is mocking Christ together with Pharaoh. They consider the words of Christ as false words when he says he is enough for our redemption and the keeping of us, the redeemed by himself. The Lord keeps us by his spirit. When he says, the one who believes has passed from death unto life is a matter of fact. When we say a sinner is righteous, only by the imputation of Christ's righteousness, they come to us and say, those are false words. A sinner has to be righteous by more than just the imputation of Christ's righteousness. You have to become a better person. And anyone, my brothers and sisters, who adds to Christ is mocking the work of Christ. That's the point. Verse 10, Exodus 5. And the taskmasters of the people and the officers went out and spoke to the people, saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go get yourself straw where you can find it, yet none of your work will be reduced. 
Go and get your own straw, but none of your quarter will be reduced. And I pray that God will give people understanding about this matter of righteousness. If you put yourself under the law, you are a debtor to do the whole law. You're a debtor. This understanding is not in the minds of many people. Hear what Paul said in Galatians 5, verse 1 to 5. Galatians 5, verse 1 to 5. Paul says, Stand fast. That's a military term. To say resist. Don't be moved. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty, in the salvation, by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage, with the yoke of slavery. You have been made free from the bondage of Egypt by way of Christ who is the Passover. And Paul says, don't entangle yourself again in the slavery of Egypt. Like the children of Israel were always trying to do. They wanted to go back to Egypt. Indeed I, verse 2, indeed I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Circumcision there is saying you initiate yourself into the law because that was the ritual to put yourself under the law. Indeed I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you zero. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You have been severed from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace, which means you can't then use grace as a basis of your standing before God. It's either or. Either you stand on your law-keeping or you stand on God's grace alone in Christ. But some clever and false theologian will come and say, (laughs) well, see, Paul was only talking about circumcision. He was only talking about the ceremonial law. But that is playing gimmicks with the text. Paul is saying, if you put yourself under any commandment of the Lord to do it, for your standing before God, then you have become a debtor to the whole thing. In other words, the nature of the covenant of the law does not allow for cherry-picking. It doesn't allow for picking and choosing according to the confession of faith of people's churches. It does not allow that the nature of the contract, the law is a contract, and it has terms that are binding, that they have to be met. And there are consequences to not meeting the terms of that contract. So the distinctions of moral, ceremonial, and civil Though they may be convenient in some things, when they cause us to separate the covenant of the law 
we end up not telling the truth about the nature of that covenant. The law comes as one unit that stands or falls as one, like a domino. If you knock one thing, the rest of the pieces fall. If you do one thing, you become liable for the whole thing. But Paul said something in contrast that is very important in Galatians 5 verse 5. Here is the contrast. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. See that distinction. The believer through the Spirit, not through the law, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. The hope of righteousness is Christ himself. And we wait for him by faith. That's the gospel testimony. And we should not be moved away from that. But I, I sometimes get tired of arguing about these things. But this truth that God has put in the Old Testament, as well as in the New Testament, if you follow our messages, we have a ton of messages where this testimony is repeated over and over and over in different ways. Verse 12, Exodus. Actually, we're not doing bad for time. I thought we were... Verse 12 of Exodus 5. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters forced them to hurry, saying, Fulfill your work, your daily quarter, as when there was straw. Also, the officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today as before? Do you hear that? The quarter of bricks had to be met every day. A daily quarter of righteousness must be met every day of your life. Not only on the day that you feel righteous. And that means righteousness is not something that you begin at a later point in your life. In the day, in the week, after you have put your ducks of life in a row and then say, okay, let me look at this righteousness thing, see how much I can meet the quota. No, it begins from when you were born till the second that you die. You must fulfill your daily quarter of righteousness to God in perfection or else you will not see life. And if you miss one point, as we said, you are worthy of condemnation of hell. Jesus even said that. And that is the testimony of the taskmasters. The taskmasters are telling you and I what the Lord demands. It's a daily quarter that you have to meet without fail. And we must hear them. Because they are not lying, they are telling us the truth. They are not mean to be mean, they are mean to preach and give us understanding of what the Lord demands and what life and righteousness require. Verse 15 and 16. Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, Why are you dealing thus with your servants? 
There's no straw given to your servants. And they say to us, make brick. And indeed, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. The officers of the children of Israel tried to come and reason with Pharaoh about the burdens and said, this is not right. This is not fair. You must relax the standard, lower the standard of righteousness so that many may be able to reach it. Lower the standard of righteousness. Lower the entry requirements of heaven so that men and women can meet it by themselves. This is not fair. Make it within our reach so that we can limbo our way into God's glory. And that's the testimony of many who argue with us when we tell them about the standard of righteousness. We tell them, if you have understood what the law is saying and demanding of you, you do not want to keep talking about doing it. You want rather to run away as fast as possible and hide in the city of refuge. Hide in Christ. That's where you want to be. You can't lower the standard of righteousness. You can't. Grace upholds the standard of righteousness by the obedience of Christ. Verse 17 to 19. But he, that is Pharaoh, said, You are idle. Idol. Therefore you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Therefore go now and work. For no straw shall be given you. Yet you shall deliver the quarter of bricks. Yet you shall deliver the quarter of bricks. And the officers of the children of Israel so that they were in trouble after it was said, you shall not reduce any bricks from your daily quarter. We have to see that we are in trouble once we understand what God requires for salvation. We have to cry out and say, men and brethren, what shall we do? God requires this quarter of righteousness that we can meet. What shall a man give in exchange for their soul? Is the same language, is the same thinking. Why shall you give for you to meet the quota of righteousness? Because God is not going to relax it. So the officers from the children of Israel tried to reason with Pharaoh. But Pharaoh was not budging. He said, you're idol. You're idol. Are you crazy? And he connects their idleness to the offering of the sacrifice to the Lord. He said this matter cannot be negotiated down because grace is not a negotiation with the law to reduce its demands on the sinner, but a satisfaction of the Lord's demands through the God-given sacrifice. Verse 20. Then as they came out from Pharaoh, 
they met Moses and Aaron who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, let the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. The people come and accuse Moses for having made their life more miserable. And that is the truth. Because the law makes one abhorrent in the sight of God because you can't do it. The law makes you miserable if we actually understood it. It should make you miserable because it comes with a sword for your lack of performance. They say it because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. This is the outcome of being under the decree of Pharaoh, being under his taskmasters. It ends in death because the law is the sword to kill. It is the letter that kills. It is the ministry of death and condemnation. That's the sword. So the people of Israel are right that you have brought this sword to kill us. Verse 22. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on these people? Why is it you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to these people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. So Moses goes back to the source of trouble. The source of trouble is not Pharaoh. It's God. Because he had already said in Genesis 15 that all your descendants are going to be in a foreign country and they're going to come under bondage. I'm like, why are you even taking them there? You are God. You should not take your people into bondage. So Moses and Aaron are right to bring the matter back to God and says, you have caused your people trouble. Do you see what you've done? When we came and spoke to Pharaoh, in your name, he has done evil to these people in response. The law, sorry, the trouble that the law brings to God's people anticipates the coming of Christ and his deliverance. That is the larger background. The bondage that came to the children of Israel in Egypt was anticipating the coming of Christ to deliver them. Because God already promised that in Genesis 15, that he will come and deliver them. They will cry out to him. And so the whole matter of sin is anticipating the coming of Christ. It is not happening by accident. It is God's way of introducing Christ to us. 
we could not know God apart from the redemption that is in Christ. And sin is necessary to lay the foundation for the revelation of Christ. Conclusion. Pharaoh is right in all his preaching. And many have not understood his preaching of the function and purpose of the law. And his preaching is telling us that the law cannot give freedom to a sinner. It was not given for that. It was given to oppress and to put burdens so that we would cry out to the only way of redemption that is God himself. Pharaoh cannot let the people go just because. And that means God does not and did not serve his people by just a decree. He just did not say, oh, just let my people go and they were set free. No, it was a decree that was attached to the death of the firstborn that is Christ Jesus. Pharaoh knows that if the sacrifice of Christ is given, then rest must follow. Freedom must follow. If the Christ has been given, then God's people have been suffering. That's the only way to understand the matter of your freedom. How do you know you're saved? Where do you look for or look to for your assurance of salvation? Many people look to themselves. There's a lot of teaching out there that you have to be looking to yourself. Look at the pattern of your life and if you've improved from where you were pre-COVID, <laughs> check, draw a graph and see where you are post-COVID. Well, we haven't reached there yet. Uh, hopefully we will, by God's grace. But that's not the theology of salvation. The truth of God says, Look to what God has given. God has given his own mediator in the person of Christ and he is set free. And as long as he has been set free, then there has to be rest for God's people. There has to be freedom. And to those who shall seek to be saved apart from God's grace alone, Pharaoh says in verse 7 and 8, for those who shall seek, Verse 8 of Exodus 5. You shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. We shall no longer give them brick. You shall no longer give them straw. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And we shall lay on them the quarter of bricks which they made before. We shall not reduce it for they are idle. Therefore they cry out saying, let us go and sacrifice to our God. So if you go back to the law, you are basically saying you have quarters of bricks of righteousness to meet every day that are backdated to when you were born. Because Pharaoh is going to backdate them. And God is going to backdate righteousness to when you were born. And good luck to you 
That is why Christ had to come and be born right from the womb to start the brick-making right from there. Because Christ was always holy and righteous even when he was in diapers. I don't think Jesus was throwing up a tantrum <laughs> like our kids do. So the true gospel says Christ is our righteousness. He is our sanctification and redemption. And we are complete in him. And that means he met the quarter of bricks, the quarter of righteousness for all is redeemed. And he calls us to rest. Pharaoh standing for the testimony of the law, says, go to work. You're being lazy, too lazy, in fact. Idle. But grace says, come boldly to the throne of grace that you may find help in the time of need. Find rest for your weary souls. Because him who has believed has seized from his labor in Egypt. And they've entered into his true Sabbath. And that's the gospel message according to Pharaoh. It's a wonderful one. And we're going to keep building it so that we may understand the Passover. Without that background, you cannot understand the Passover. I don't think so. You can say some things that are correct, but it's necessary to define Pharaoh and the things that God is saying through Pharaoh so that we understand what Christ has done for us. Okay, So we're done. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we bless you for the testimony of Christ that you've given us from the book of Exodus, teaching us about the matter of slavery and bondage to sin and the function of the law and how we we're set free from that slavery which required us to meet a daily quota of bricks and righteousness which we could not do. And we thank you for the Christ, for the messenger of the Lord who came down to redeem his people as it is today. We thank you that he made complete satisfaction to the matter of sin, to all matter of righteousness. We thank you for the hope that we have. We thank you for the for the freedom that we have in Christ. We honor you, Lord Jesus, for all those that you brought to listen to this message. Those who are here with us on Facebook and here in this place, we honor you, glorify you. Be with us in our going in and be with us in our going out. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.